Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors, help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. Every Sunday at the top of the service, a priest prays a prayer that we call a collect. And I once heard someone explain that the prayer helps collect us for worship. It helps us collect ourselves. I don't know if that's how it got the name, but I thought it was clever. As Jimmy Buffett, may he rest in peace, said, it's a fine line between Saturday night and Sunday morning. (laughs) If you ask my dad, Jimmy Buffett counts among the prophets. And so the collect helps us to cross that line. It it helps us to go across the fine line and to go from who we are out there to who we are in here. The collects help set the tone. And many of our collects, there's a special one for every Sunday, and they're ancient prayers, most of them. And they were chanted in Latin for centuries before the Mass was in English. And Thomas Cranmer, the first Protestant Archbishop of Canterbury, gave us the current form of most of our collects. And in the case of today's, he added, Cranmer did, one very important word, true. So a few moments ago, JP prayed that God might increase in us true religion. Not just religion, true religion. So what is true religion? What distinguishes true religion? And this morning's lessons include two of the great icons of our faith, two of the great signs. We read both of the burning bush and of the cross. And these two symbols are so iconic that I worry that we may have lost some of their meaning. So I want to take a few minutes this morning with each symbol. Uncovering the fuller meaning of these signs may help us navigate our way to true religion. So first... What do you do if you encounter a burning bush? New Mexicans know a burning bush in a dry wilderness is a dangerous sign. And so it's no wonder that Moses pays attention. I must turn aside and see why the bush is not burned up, Moses says. The fire does not consume the bush. A voice calls to Moses. Have you ever found yourself on ground so holy it feels like you should take off your shoes? The burning bush not consumed, it's a powerful image. You can find it in stained glass, in medieval paintings. I've seen it in sculptures, in tapestries, even on pastries. So this sign, the burning bush, I think often we use it as a stand-in for those moments of inexplicable encounter with the divine. I I hear this parish has a fair number of contemplatives, folks who have dedicated themselves to a set of practices intended to draw them nearer to God. I think of myself as an aspiring contemplative. I have a lot to learn on that journey. And the burning bush is an icon for the contemplative life, isn't it? for those sought-after moments of breakthrough, of deepening, for the great silences when we might hear the inner voice of God, encounter our inner oneness with the divine. But my dear contemplatives, a caution. 
we must not stop reading this lesson at the first paragraph. We are sometimes so eager to hear God's invitation to step barefoot into holy ground. I worry sometimes about the contemplative side of Christianity when it is divorced from the call to justice. There's a balance in the passage if you keep reading. Once God has confirmed for Moses who is speaking out of that burning bush, listen to what God says. I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry. Indeed, I know their sufferings. Then in one of the great turns of Scripture, God says, I have come down to deliver them. So you, Moses, you go to Pharaoh. Catch that? I have come down to deliver them, so you go? It's a lot of theology right there. But I worry that when we paint or sew or sculpt the burning bush, when we sit in the quiet of a beautiful church, waiting for the presence of God, we might miss that next paragraph. When we take off our shoes in preparation for the spiritual encounter, are we also readying ourselves to put on our work boots? Moses is given a vision, but not only for his own spiritual enrichment, Moses isn't given God's name as a reward for being a spiritual master, no. Moses is expected to take God's name out into the world and use it to set people free. Also notice in this story that before the encounter, Moses' action is unbalanced. He is on the lamb here in Midian having acted rashly in defense of his neighbor. Moses needs the holy encounter in order to ground the work. True religion involves both spiritual encounter and action for justice. They work together. God invites Moses onto the holy ground in order to send Moses out. The story of the burning bush is one where a forest fire doesn't start, but Moses is sent to burn down the injustices faced by his people. I said there are two signs I want to talk about today, two central signs for our faith. And the first is the burning bush. The second is the cross. I wonder whether one of the greatest heresies the church has ever committed is to imagine that Jesus was crucified alone. European and white American theology has tended toward an understanding of the cross centered on Christ's suffering for us. Latin American theology, black theology, tends to see the cross differently. Where we tend to hear in white America that Christ died for us, that Christ suffered for us, outside of the white church, the emphasis is that Christ suffers with us. John Sabrino, the Salvadoran theologian, talks about the crucified people. James Cone, one of the founders of black liberation theology, wrote about the cross as a lynching tree. As Americans, Cone said, we won't understand the cross unless in it we can see a lynching tree. What he means is this. Jesus' fate was the, was the same as so many of the people who live on this earth. People who die at the hands of the state or at the hands of a racist mob are victims of the same sort of death as Jesus. Christ suffers with the victims. 
people crucified by poverty, people crucified by the sins of homophobia, misogyny, ableism, and xenophobia, people crucified by the greed of others. No one suffers alone. What is redemptive about the cross is precisely that God is present in the worst of human circumstances. In the walls of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, there are thousands of crosses carved by pilgrims centuries ago. Many came seeking healing for themselves or for others. Others came seeking forgiveness. And the ancient graffiti speaks a truth that I wish we could capture here on our Rarados. I'm about to make our building committee very nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm new here still, right? But I wish we had thousands of tiny crosses behind our great cross. Maybe someday. If you need a spiritual practice, when you see a cross, close your eyes. See thousands, millions of crosses. See the faces of those who have suffered. Christ's cross does not stand on Calvary alone. The Christ is not some measure of Jesus' uniqueness, and quite the opposite. The cross is a sign which reminds us that God is with us, all of us, in our worst moments. God is especially with those who suffer unjustly. If my explication of this symbol is difficult for you, you've got good company this morning. Just a few verses ago in the lines that we read last week, Jesus was congratulating Peter. He said to the disciple, you are the rock on which I will build my church. Then here this morning, just a few verses later, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus' harsh rebuke comes because Peter doesn't want Jesus to suffer. Peter presumably also does not want to pick up his own cross. And I feel for Peter. As the Jesuit Daniel Berrigan once said, if you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. <laughs> Our faith is more about surviving the journey than reaching some point of arrival. And Jesus needs Peter to know the sign of the cross, it points us like the burning bush to true religion. And true religion isn't polished. It isn't easy. It isn't simple. It isn't clean. True religious leaders are often humbled. Moses is a mess. Peter gets it wrong more often than he gets it right. Don't buy religion from someone who pretends to be perfect. There's a great deal of false religion out there. It hurts my heart that so much of the church does not center God's love. Faith is not supposed to be about hating the right constellation of people. Faith is not supposed to be about hating yourself. The gospel is about learning to love your neighbor and learning to love yourself. And church isn't for people who have it all figured out. Church is a place to come when you need forgiveness and mercy and companions in the journey. Because true religion doesn't leave us alone. The signs of our faith point us back to one another, back to the work of feeding the hungry, accompanying the afraid, freeing the captives. 
True religion asks us to forgive our neighbors and to learn to forgive ourselves. When we encounter the holy ground under burning bushes, when we survey the cross, we are sent back out to do God's work because God still hears the cry of the suffering. The great signs of our faith point us not only upward toward God, but out to stand with God's people. We are sent to share God's loving solidarity with the world. That is what makes religion true. May God increase in us true religion. Amen.